If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. We are leaving chapter 9, moving into chapter 10. However, uh, I would say that the degree of weightiness to this morning's passage, though lesser than last week's passage and sermon, is still heavy. Uh, Last week we looked at, the, the text had us consider the reality of hell and the judgment that awaits those who do not turn from their sin and trust in Christ. Uh, again, this is a, a lesser weightiness as far as e- eternal issues, but still a very heavy and weighty matter. This morning's text will have us consider what God's Word has to say about divorce and remarriage. Now, if you would, please turn to Mark 10, 1 through 12. I'll read God's Word and then we'll pray. You can find this passage on page 845 in the Scriptures. If it were up... To me, just to kind of mix things up and move uh, a lighter sermon in between two heavy ones, I would flip the passage that we'll look at next week, which deals with children, which are very much a lighter and less heavy, weighty matter. Uh, The the passage is going to exhort us to to have faith like children. Uh, But who am I to, to mess with God's word and the order of it? God has put it in this order for a reason, and so he wants us in somewhat of a heavy tone, um, still joyful because we have Christ, but uh, a heavy matter nonetheless this morning. So Mark 10, 1 through 12. And he left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is God's good and perfect word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your people need your word, even when for some it might be a hard and difficult word. You are a loving, gracious, kind Father who has given us your word for our good and for the good of others. Father, I pray now, especially for those hearts that are hardened to your word, Let them not be moved by anything that I say, but by what your word has to say and by your spirit working to soften their hearts to receive your good and perfect word. You are not a liar. You tell the truth every single time. These words, which will be difficult for some of us to ponder and and dig through and apply to our lives, are important and they must be heard by your people. They must be taught from the pulpit. They must be received and obeyed. Lord, I want to especially pray for those this morning who are contemplating divorce. Lord, there are likely some here that are struggling in their marriage and that thought has crossed their mind and I pray that if they have no basis for pursuing divorce that you would keep them from going down that route. That this passage this morning might serve as a warning, a gracious reminder from a sovereign God who is providentially put in front of their face on their lap the truth about marriage and divorce. Father, be gracious because you are gracious. Be loving because you're loving. And give your people everything that they need this morning. We pray these things for your glory, for the sake of the the church and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Mark tells us that the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him a question in order to test him. 
The Pharisees, you need to understand, were not playing games with Jesus. They were not playing some form of, of Bible trivia, Old Testament law trivia with Jesus in this passage. This was not a game of Jewish jeopardy. They didn't want Jesus to choose divorce and remarriage for 1,000. They wanted to trap Jesus. As we have seen and we see throughout the scriptures, it was pretty much from the beginning of his public ministry, the Pharisees' goal to get rid of Jesus. Mark 3, 6 tells us that, that almost from the beginning of his public ministry, just shortly after his baptism and as he begins to go to the, 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 the public places of worship and, and proclaim the truth, the Pharisees' goal was to destroy Jesus. Now maybe some of them wanted to just kind of get him to, to go off and, and, and be seen for a false teacher, which they thought he was. They just wanted to be more kind in their, in their getting rid of him. But that word means get rid of. It means destroy. It means death. It means they want him to be off this earth. Now, that a question about divorce would be used in the first century to trap Jesus Christ reminds us, church, that divorce and remarriage has always been a challenging issue for God's people. Now, in preparation for this week's sermon, I tried to do research and look at statistics. Not because I want to just hit you with statistic after, after stat to get you scared or to stir up your heart and say, wow, this is a big issue. We know that, that marriage and divorce and remarriage is a big issue in the church. We, we know that. But because I just wanted to wrap my mind around it, and it was crazy because I would read one reliable, well-known source, and it would say, Divorce rates are declining in America. And then I would read another one and they would say, drastic change, the, the divorce rates in America are increasing. And I'm reading different things and some are saying that, that uh, ever since the 60s it's been on a decline, but some are saying now my generation is, is headed towards and is pursuing more divorce. So I just want to say this, divorce is a big issue. And it always has been an issue. Even in the first century it's been an issue. And that's why they would come to Jesus with a question about divorce. Now in giving a sermon in the 21st century on divorce and remarriage, or that, a sermon that addresses these things, I believe there are many challenges that I face, but especially two. And so I want to put those before you as something as a preface to this sermon. The first has to do with experiences. Many here today have faced divorce and remarriage in some way, shape, or form. These issues, these matters are deeply personal for you. I mean, you think of faces, you think of children, you think of you and your own situation. Some of you have been divorced and some of those of you who have been divorced have since been remarried. Some of you did not sin when you, when you were divorced or when you were remarried, but some of you did sin when you divorced and were remarried. This means that you will not just be listening to hear some information, but you'll be listening to hear, maybe for the first time, what God's word truly says about these matters. And, and you may be pressed by God's word and the spirit. If it were up, for, up to me, again, I would pick a different passage to preach on. One that would be easier to wrestle with and, and flow out without offending anybody. <laughs> That's just me. I'm a people pleaser. But... I also believe in the Bible, that it is God's word, and that you need this word, and I need this word, and the church needs this word, and culture isn't going to give this word to us. So we need to hear what God's word has to say. That said, I understand that this is a delicate issue. I mean, no offense. I simply want God's word to offend where it needs to offend. Others have parents who have been divorced, and some of them have been remarried. For some, a divorce or remarriage was a, a life-changing moment that has left a deep wound or scar that has not gone away and will not go away. It has, it has changed the way you view marriage. It has affected your relationships. I mean, you can't blame all of it on that, but, but it's, it's come into play in these matters that are very important and and fundamental for you. It has shaken your life like an earthquake. It's shaped and changed you and not in a good way. Others of us have had to watch with a heavy heart children or grandchildren, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, and friends who have gone through divorce, sometimes for biblical reasons, sometimes for not biblical reasons, and some of them have since remarried. Now, this is a, a personal matter. I, got, I would think that the vast majority of us have 
would fall into either of these groups. Like we've been affected in some way by divorce. We know or we have experienced it firsthand, the, the effects of divorce and remarriage. So that said, here's my personal experience with these matters. Uh, the man that I call dad, he was divorced and uh, he, he married my mom when I was 10. Now he's earned that title, I call him dad, not because he's my biological father, but he has served as my dad, he has raised me, and, and he is my example of what it looks like to be, uh, he was growing up, and, and he's a great man that I appreciate and praise God for. But he was, he had two children, he divorced his wife, and he was he, he was eventually, he remarried my mother. And so in a unique way, now I don't carry a lot of the baggage or the hurts that some who have, who have been through that situation as children do. I just didn't have, I was born out of wedlock and I didn't have a marriage before me that fell apart. So in some ways I think it was maybe a little easier for me. Now I, I do think it was easier for me in these matters. But I did get to see my stepbrother and my stepsister who are close to my own age struggle with and at times rebel and, and the hurt that it caused them. I was close with them. We got along, but there were definitely some difficult dynamics in our household. And I got to see that play out. And so I know firsthand from my own childhood some of the effects that, that divorce has and, and the difficulty of these matters. I also know as a pastor the, the pain and the sorrow that these things cause in people's lives. I have, over the last 10 years, as a youth pastor, seen the youth in our youth group go through these things and the, and the destruction it caused in their lives. And some of them have not recovered, I don't think, from divorce, their parents getting divorced. I've also, in the last few years, since becoming the preaching pastor, have to, had to work through and, and, and see people who had professed faith in Christ, who seemed to be exhibiting fruit that they were truly regenerated, wander from not just their spouse, but wander from Jesus and have since been divorced. Some of it's, it's just terrible stuff, keeps me up at night, keeps me praying, that's a good thing. It, it saddens me, and any time I come and I'm confronted with passages like this, it brings me back to their faces. So this is a challenging issue for you, it's a challenging issue for me, and I say that not to diminish the seriousness, but just to say we're all in the same boat. It's hard. These matters are hard. They're emotional. There's feelings related to these issues, deep-seated feelings. Now before moving on, having stated these things, I want to give a needed statement especially for those who have sinned in getting divorced or have sinned in getting remarried. A sinful divorce and a sinful remarriage are not unforgivable sins. That's good news for you this morning. As we wander through these things, you may be confronted with the reality that what, what you did was sinful. And that's heavy. And maybe you hadn't been confronted with that before. But here's the, the news, the, the thing that needs to color the glasses that you need to wear as you look at this text God sent Jesus Christ to pay for your sin. And that includes the sin of adultery. It includes the sin of divorce. It includes the sin of remarriage when it is not for biblical, it does not have a biblical basis. So the gospel is enough. That's there. It's present. I'm going to get very practical and lay out what I believe are, are clear things that Scripture teaches. But you need to remember, and I'll come back to, to this reality. In Christ, if you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus alone to forgive your sin, you are forgiven. It's not debatable. It's not up for discussion. If you have repented of these sins, then you are forgiven. Praise God. He is a good and gracious God. There's hope for you in Christ. The second challenge is simply a practical one, and it has to do with time. There's so much that could be and should be said about these matters. Things that need to be clarified, things that need to be emphasized. If you came at 1030, you know that the first service went a little bit longer um, last week on hell, this week on marriage and divorce, there's just so much to say. I've tried to cut. I'm still trying to cut right now in my head so the service doesn't go longer again. Um, but there's so much to say. There are also so many unique and difficult situations, circumstances that are hard to address. That, that though scripture is clear, these situations make things difficult to apply scripture to. And yet scripture needs to be and should be applied to them. There's not enough time in one sermon to say everything or to address every situation. You may think after hearing this sermon that I should have said more, I should have said this, I should have said that. I apologize. There's just so much to say, so much to consider, so much to emphasize and clarify. I'm going to cover the basics and, excuse me, and touch on what I believe are the most important things for you to hear this morning from this passage. Now to do this, I'm going to structure this sermon by five truths. 
There will be five truths related to divorce and remarriage that will cover and flow from Mark 10, 1 through 12, but also have us go to a few other passages. So this is going to be something like a topical sermon, although it's based and rooted in this morning's passage. And here's the first one. Let me take a drink so I don't make that weird noise again. Marriage according to God is the union between one man and one woman in a covenantal relationship that is to last a lifetime. Verse 2 tells us that the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now the, the consensus understanding, the consensus interpretation of Old Testament scripture among the Jews was that in certain cases God's law permitted divorce. And not only did some believe that it permitted divorce, but it commanded divorce, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The Pharisees believe this, but, but they have a hidden agenda for asking. So they're not like, is it ever lawful? They know it's lawful. That's the consensus within Judaism across the, the more liberal theologically Jews and the more conservative theologically Jews. Uh, they, they knew that divorce was permitted. So they have an agenda, and it is this. Jesus has often, as they've heard him teach, taken a more strict or hard line on different matters. Matters that they addressed and they thought, man, we were really serious about this and now he's talking about like plucking out eyes, tearing or cutting off arms and legs and he's talking about like you, you commit adultery if you look at a woman in lust and he's emphasizing like the heart and they're emphasizing the outer. And so they're thinking that if they can get Jesus to say something about divorce, well, that'll get him in trouble with Herod. Because if you remember, Herod has already imprisoned John the Baptist. He's already, because of his uh, a stupid promise that he made to his stepdaughter, who he was lusting after, uh, agreed to, to kill. And he had John the Baptist beheaded because John the Baptist, ultimately, this is the, the source of his beheading, he confronted Herod in his sinful divorce and remarriage of his brother's former wife. And so, think about this. They want to destroy Jesus. If they get Jesus to say something about divorce that is at odds with what Herod has done, well, destruction is what they're thinking. Jesus answers their question with a question. What did Moses command you? They respond by saying that, well, Moses allowed a man to divorce his wife. They're going back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, which we'll look at again shortly. Jesus doesn't oppose what Moses says here. He doesn't say, no, Moses was wrong. Uh, he, he took something out of kind. He went too far with that. But what he does do in this passage is that he clarifies. He explains what was behind Moses' instruction to the Jews. He says it was because of the hardness of the human heart. It's a matter of, this was not God's intention, but because of the hardness of the human heart, because of sin, Moses allowed for divorce. That's what Jesus said. Then after explaining what was behind Deuteronomy 24, this heart matter, Jesus is always concerned with the heart. After that, he points the Pharisees back further. They want to go to, to Moses and say, you know, that's the justification. Well, then Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation, all the way back to the first few chapters of Genesis, which gives God's definition of and God's plan for marriage. And we see that quoted in verses 6 through 9. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God made us male and female in his image. That was good. That was part of the created order. And then he created marriage, basically right at creation, to be between one man and one woman. This is God's definition of marriage. So it does not matter what people vote on. It does not matter what government legislates. It doesn't matter what, what government calls marriage. According to scripture, marriage is between one man and one woman. It's rooted in creation. Anything else well, it's something other than marriage. It, it's something else. It's not marriage. God said this is what marriage is. And there's a, a deep important reason why, starting with his glory, he made us in his image, and if we fight against created order and what God has intended things to be like as far as marriage, well, then we're pushing back against his image and what he created us to do. In marriage, a man and a woman become one. Now, many of us 
think, oh, that's speaking of, of physical intimacy. Yes, it's speaking of that, but it's speaking of so much more than that. These two lives that were once separated, the, the man being identified with this family and the woman being identified with this family, now come together and now their primary human relationship allegiance is to that other. So they, the, the whole basis of, of their identity has changed. It used to be that they defined themselves in this family and now this new family has formed and God is doing this forming, this joining. It's mysterious, it's wonderful, it's true of the non-Christians who have married according to God's word as far as what marriage is to be, one man, one woman. God is, his common grace blesses this in a unique way, this relationship of marriage. And it takes priority over every other human relationship except for the, the relationship that we have with God, that man and that woman have with God. Now, some of you will need to remember this when you get married. You don't run to mom or dad right away when there's an issue. You talk it out with your spouse. That's where you communicate and then you can you know, maybe go to mom and dad, other people. But this, this is your priority. Now, already in our family, like many young parents, we've had the whole the kids trying to divide mom and dad. And I have taken the biblical route in dealing with that, that issue. They come to me, you know, they ask me for ice cream. No, you did not eat any vegetables. You did not eat any meat. You had, you had a banana. Like, come on, that's not, that's not enough. You can't, have a sna- you can't have ice cream after that. And then what do they do? Go run over to mom. Hey, mom, can I have some ice cream? You know, I, I love to run in if I hear that going on. You will not divide us. God has said we are in a, a, a tight bond, one that you cannot come between. And mom's allegiance is to me and my allegiance is to mom. So don't try and divide us. You know, I go biblical on them. They're like, whatever, I just wanted ice cream. <laughs> but, but there's a principle here. I mean, that, that's the re- I want them to learn from the beginning that this relationship between, between their mother and I goes deeper than my relationship to, or that commitment is, is stronger, is, that allegiance is there. Yes, I love them. I will lay down my life for my, my boys, all that stuff there. But, but God has said this is a unique and important relationship that, that a, a husband and a wife have and we are to be committed to in a unique way. Marriage is not a business contract. That's what some have made it. You know, even before they get married, they lay out, you know, what would happen if they get divorced. They put it in a... I don't understand. I know that this is like the celebrity or the wealthy thing to do. That's crazy. You're coming in expecting to get divorced. You're like, I, I know rates and all that stuff, statistics, but I just don't see the wisdom. I, I'm sorry if some of you have done that. I'm not saying it's sinful. Maybe this is just me going off on a tangent, but it just does not start right. Like we signed a contract just in case we get divorced. God says, don't get divorced, and you're coming in with that. Marriage is a covenant relationship in which God himself joins the man and woman together. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. And this covenant which God has joined together is to last a lifetime until the death of the husband or the wife. Meaning no man or woman should end it or break it. That's God's intention from the beginning for marriage. So what does this teach us about divorce? Don't. Don't do it. Like, that, that, that's pretty clear. It, it's God's intention that if you're married, you stay married. When you made your vows... Maybe you didn't even make them before God. God heard them. God recognized that that marriage, if it's a legal marriage, when you signed the papers, you made a covenant that God has solidified and you have solidified with your own body. And so if you are a Christian, you are to remain faithful to your spouse and not abandon them. If you're not a Christian, you're here this morning, I'm saying this, don't get divorced. You need Jesus, repent, trust in Christ, and stay in this marriage unless you have biblical grounds for leaving it. Now, before we move on, we need to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here about divorce. Again, this is one of those, maybe not Sunday school, this is not, you know, first grade, second grade things, maybe they're they're talking about in our Sunday school, but these are things that we learn, we know, we acknowledge, but then they just kind of just pass through. They go in one ear and out the other ear type of deals. Whatever exceptions there might be that allow for divorce in Scripture, God intends that marriage last a lifetime. And here's the problem. We are, we sin. And we are really clever and we are really good at convincing ourselves that our sin is okay. We justify our sin. We, we can go on the internet and you can do this. And I did this not so I could justify my sin or pursue divorce or remarriage or anything like that, but just how easy it is to find supposed Christian views that contradict Scripture. 
I mean, if you want to, you can find somebody that takes a scripture out of context and argues that you can get divorced in an unbiblical way. I mean, and you will do it if you, if you want to. And so you have to guard your heart. You, you must not look for loopholes. Yes, you are forgiven if you have done these things. Yes, God is with you. He loves you. There's no condemnation in Christ. But don't look for loopholes. It will do you no good, and it will do you great harm if you do. Here's the second truth. Not everyone who is divorced has sinned in getting divorced. We forget this sometimes. It's important that we we remember it as a church. I want to be clear that every divorce is the product of sin. There's no such thing as a sinless divorce. The, The law has determined that there are faultless divorces. God says no. God has said this. No. There's, there's no such thing as a sinless divorce. But there are times when someone can be divorced without sinning. Marriage really can end. It shouldn't, but it can. The covenant of marriage can be severed. That, that's what Jesus is implying when he says, let not man separate. It, it can be done. Men can separate. Women can separate this bond, but they must not. This means that Divorced couples are divorced. Sometimes people say, well, they're still married and got... No, if they're divorced, if they've gone through that and they've, they've been divorced, they are divorced. Scripture gives us two instances when someone who is divorced is not guilty of sin. And so I want to give those to you this morning. Practical things you need to hear. This is not going to be the most downloaded sermon. You know, that, I don't know what the most is, but this is not going to be. But you need to hear these things, church. Maybe it will be now that I said that. In cases of adultery, the faithful spouse is permitted to divorce, but it's not required to. Emphasize, not required to. Let's look at Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. This was the passage that Jesus and the Pharisees were referring to when they had that discussion about Moses. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord." And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, it reads almost like a legal document. It's law. This is God's law for God's people in the Old Covenant. It applies to the New Covenant, but, but this was for Israel. Before we unpack this more, I just want to kind of mention or grieve with you over any woman that has ever gone through this. I mean, it's crazy. So she marries somebody and then gets divorced and then that guy dies or divorces her and then all of a sudden, maybe they were true love, true loves and soulmates were, I don't, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Just, you know, I'm, I don't use those terms normally, but, but this is the one that she wanted to be with and now, nope, can't have. I mean, this is just a, I mean, this is a, this is a movie right here. It's a sad movie, right? Uh, so acknowledging that, now let's think about what, what the importance of this passage is to the discussion. Now, the the focus is on the phrase, some indecency in her, that is found in verse 1. This was an intensely debated phrase. I mean, just just a few words, but they were intensely debated among the rabbis. They, they, They were wrestling with what exactly this phrase meant. And two opposing rabbinic views came out. Uh, and, and dominated. These, these were the two main views and, and the, the overwhelming views that, that people held to, that the, the rabbis held to, as to what some indecency in her meant. There's a, a conservative and a liberal view theologically. The school of Shammai, which was the conservative position, interpreted some indecency in her to mean that a man could only divorce his wife if he discovered that she had committed sexual immorality that fell in the realm of adultery. Now, that was the only case for the Shammai that, that this, some indecency in her would, be, would lead to divorce. 
the Hillel position was the, the liberal position, theologically, and they believe some indecency in her meant that a man could divorce his wife for any number of reasons. And you can look through some of the discussions that, that are recorded, some of the writings of the rabbis. Some of them, it's like these men just got together and they just came up with some really stupid stuff. Like, one of them said that this some indecency in her meant that if a man came home and his wife had cooked him a meal that he didn't like or burnt the dinner, then he could divorce his wife over that and presumably marry a chef who could cook great meals or something because that's all he cared about. Uh, that was one of the cases. I mean, matters of, of ridiculousness. If, if anything in her he just got annoyed with, finally said, you know what, that's the last straw. I'm done. Here's your letter. He could legally, according to the Hillel position, divorce her and marry someone else. Well, Jesus sides over and over again, here and elsewhere, with the Shammai interpretation of some indecency in her. Now, to see this, we need to turn to Matthew 19.9. Remember, the Gospels parallel one another. Sometimes they give us the exact same information, but in some cases, we get more or we have less. And Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's Gospel, in this, we're given a little bit more uh, in this parallel account of the exact same event that took place in Mark 10. But this time, Jesus' words are a little bit different. There's a little bit more. They include what has been called the exception clause, and it's found in verse 9 of chapter 19. It reads, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. That's not in our passage, that exception clause. Many different suggestions as to why. I think the best one is that Mark assumed it for his readers. They, they knew that in the case of adultery, that the one who had been um, who had been sinned against in that marriage was free to marriage. So it's just assumed, but for some reason Matthew includes it. Divorce is only allowed for marital unfaithfulness, sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. That's what this passage is, is saying. Breaks the marriage covenant and it is grounds for a biblical divorce. Now, it's not required again. My, I've heard stories and I, some of you have probably gone through this when one spouse commits adultery on the other and then through much work, I'm not saying uh, this is always the case, or, and I'm not saying it has to be the case, but through much work, tears, true repentance, God does a great work, brings them back together. God is glorified in that. It's amazing, and that marriage is strong, and it, and it, and it, it, it glorifies God. I've seen that happen. <coughs> and so it's important to note that divorce is not required, but it is allowed. So somebody who is, is sinned against when their spouse commits adultery is permitted to biblically get divorced. And here's a second case. In cases of desertion by a spouse, they are, uh, by a spouse, the divorce is not required, but it is permitted. And to see this, we need to go to 1 Corinthians 7. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is addressing so many different things related to marriage. He's exhorting the single to remain single if God has blessed them with that gift, but if they have not the gift of celibacy, then they can, they're free to, to marry. Now, some have taken that and twisted it and, and really f- try to force people to be celibate, people in ministry. That is not, uh, that is not the right interpretation. But, but singleness can be good. Then you can focus fully on serving the Lord. That's the only relationship that you, your full allegiance is, is geared toward. Um, but most of us don't have that gift and are not called to that. And then he talks about widows. And then in verses 10 through 16, he addresses desertion. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So before we look at at the, the case, what Paul says here is that if someone gets sinfully divorced, they have no basis biblically for divorcing their spouse, They should try to be reconciled to their ex-spouse or they should remain single, not remarry. They should not remarry. It would be a sin. And then Paul goes on. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Now, it's important to note that when Paul says, I, not the Lord, and when he said, uh, this is from the Lord, he is saying, he is citing his sources. He's saying that Jesus gave me that direction or that instruction. He taught that and either he had heard that from the disciples or he had heard it some way directly from Jesus 
And here he's saying, this is what I'm telling you. Now this does not in any way diminish the authority. It is all God's word. It's all to be obeyed, all to be understood and applied. So that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying, well, listen to Jesus, but if you want, you know, you can listen to me as well. That's not what he's saying. He's simply citing his sources. Paul goes on. This is the relevant, relevant text. That if any brother has a wife who is an un- unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, here it is, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, the Christian, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So a Christian who finds themselves, for various reasons, married to a non-Christian, and that can happen for many different reasons, is not to pursue a divorce. What are they to do? Paul says, share the gospel with them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what he has done for them, how he has died on the cross for their sins. They are to be, they are to be an example of the power of the gospel. This has happened so often. There are members in this church that this is, this is their story. This is what happened to them. I mean, if you think about it, if two non-believers get married or two people who think they're believers, but it turns out they're not believers, get married, well, if they both get saved, one of them had to get saved first, right? I mean, it's just practical. Sometimes, I'm sure there's a case where a husband and wife came in into a, 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 a service or sat down and read the Bible together, and in that same moment, in that very same millisecond, they became believers, I mean, I'm sure that could have happened. But in most cases, the husband hears the gospel or the wife hears the gospel, is, is born again, and then there might be weeks, months, years, decades of that wife, that husband, sharing the gospel with their spouse. Sometimes more intentionally, some, sometimes more overt, overtly, sometimes more preachy, uh, and, and sometimes just praying and inviting and praying and inviting, and then they get saved. And Paul is saying, aim for that Christian who is married to a non-Christian. Aim for that. However, if that unbeliever refuses to stay in the marriage and abandons the Christian, the Christian is to allow them to do so, to let them go. They're not bound to be married if their unbelieving spouse leaves them. Now, I want to note here that some spouses who desert their spouse and abandon the marriage may have claimed to be Christians. So this is kind of a, a caveat, some, one of those unique situations that, that is difficult to, to see and understand sometimes, but, but this, is, this is my view on it. Because salvation is a work of God. People can sometimes, for, for, because they were baptized, they went to church, because they've gone to church for their whole life, they were raised in church, assume that they're a Christian. However, over time, it may turn out that they were not a Christian. And so when when someone is pursuing a divorce for unbiblical reasons and, and if they are confronted, the, the, the church comes to them and says, what you're doing, brother, what you're doing, sister, is sinful. Do not pursue divorce. You don't have a right to do this. Your husband or your wife wants to stay in this marriage. They want to fight for this marriage. Neither of you have committed adultery. Neither of you have abandoned the marriage. And that spouse says, you know what? I don't care what God's word says. It doesn't matter. I'm, I, I'm not going to listen. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to obey his word. When a spouse does that and it continues and continues and continues to do that, well, I believe that they're demonstrating that true regeneration has not taken place in their heart. Yes, maybe they will come back to Christ. I would, I would put to you that it's more likely that if they come to Christ, it's their first time coming to Christ. That their heart is hard against not just their spouse, but against God and his word. You know what Christians do? They submit to the lordship of Christ. And so when they're confronted with God's word, part of them, even if they're struggling, even if they're, they're wrestling with these things, says, you know what? God's word is true, and I'm not always true. My heart is deceitful. I will obey. And so that's why as a church and as elders, when some couple is seemingly headed towards divorce, this is our approach. If they will not listen, if there seems to be no budge, no movement, here's what we do. We slow it down. We, we ask them, don't file the papers. 
Okay, you, you, you're, you're getting really angry. There's a, a danger here for safety. So move out. Separate yourselves, but, but be reading God's word. Come to church. Meet with Christians. Hear godly counsel. Listen to what God has to say. We pray and we cry out to God in tears. Lord, grant them repentance and faith. Soften their hearts. Bring this couple together because we want God's word to do the work. We want God's word in that time of separation, that season of slowing things down, even though it's so hard and people just want to clean break, let's go move on with life, I'll, I'll repent later. No, no, no. Slow down. Let the gospel and God's word get to work on a heart. And that's our approach. Now I've just laid out the traditional conservative Protestant position with a caveat about the, the professing Christian in a marriage who turns out not to be a Christian over time. This is the majority of, of what, this is the position that the majority of theologically conservative evangelicals have taken over history. It's a position found in the historic confessions, many confessions of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Divorce is permissible on these two grounds, adultery and desertion. This is my position as a pastor in this church on these matters. This is when divorce is permissible. It's not ideal. We might encourage people to, to consider and seek reconciliation. Um, that said, there are situations that are extremely difficult and Scripture does not directly relate to, but it does apply to, and they take great counsel, time, prayer, discernment, wisdom, questions, meetings to discern whether or not maybe they actually are forms of adultery and desertion. I'm talking a, a, a spouse is fully given over to drugs, they're, they're alive, they're present, they live there, they sleep there, but all they do is drugs, they're not, they're not doing anything else, and they're hurting the family physically. I mean, they're, they're, there's danger there. Is that desertion? I'm not answering the question, I'm just posing these difficult circumstances, some of which we have had to face as elders and as a church. Uh, not only that, maybe they're physically abusive. They've beaten their spouse or their children might these and other things and combinations of them equal some form of desertion? I, I think that there, there's credence to these things and they need to be brought before the church and discussed and prayed over and, and we need to apply scripture to these things. That is why each case needs to be looked at individually and yet scripture is the final authority. But these are hard. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I truly think that that matters of divorce and remarriage have taken out so many elders, so many pastors, just wiped them out. Don't pity them. Just know that this is a difficult issue. It's not that people just want to compromise. It's not just that, that they're taking the easy road. It's that these things are hard. And, and I've seen that in my three years of being the, the preaching pastor. These things are, honestly, these matters are probably some of the hardest things I've had to face as a pastor. Here's a third point. Here's the third truth. If a divorce was not permissible, remarriage to someone other than the original spouse is sin. This is Jesus' point in Mark 10, 11, and 12. That's what he's saying. If you are sinfully divorced, then the remarriage is also sinful. It's a form of adultery. No, if you've repented of your sin of, of a sinful remarriage, you're not still committing adultery by being in this remarriage. But that initial act, that coming together, that marriage was an act of adultery. So what should a Christian who is remarried do if their divorce, was, their divorce and their remarriage was sinful? What if they're on their second or third marriage? That, that happens. They all of a sudden get saved or they realize these things. They've never been taught these things. They're like, what do I do now? Should I divorce the, the husband or wife I'm married to now and then seek to reconcile? What if that one who I divorce is already remarried? What do you do? Here's my confident, emphatic answer. You remain as you are. That's the, the counsel that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 7 over and over again. He says, remain as you are. God does not want you to add to your sin of a sinful divorce and a sinful remarriage by adding another divorce that should not be divorced, a divorce that should not take place. The solution to sin is never to sin more. This basic principle applies to so many things in life. Hard decision, what should you do? Is one sinful? Don't do it. Don't do it. Christians who sinned in getting divorced and remarried should remain as they are, married to who they are married to today. But if they haven't already, they need to repent and ask for God's for forgiveness. And they also need to do this, show real heartfelt remorse over their sin. 
Now, some of you will say, and I've heard this before, well, then they get off easy. They're just pulling the hole. Well, I'll repent later. No, brother or sister, that's not the approach to take in these matters. It, it could be the case, but, but I, I find it really hard to believe that a Christian who has the Holy Spirit in him or her who has been changed by the gospel wants to sneak sin by God who has this mindset, you know what, I snuck that one by, if that's the case, well, there's a great problem in their heart. They, they think they know better and they have a better approach to these things than God. God has given us his word and we should follow it. There's always consequence to sin. They affect relationships. They affect your relationship with God, with your family. Uh, when a Christian goes through these things, it hurts, even if they're the one that committed the divorce and is guilty of sin in the divorce. The remit, it hurts. It leaves scars on them. So we should, not we should not take that approach. And the, the Christian who sees these things and repents of them will not only ask God to forgive them, but you know what they'll do? They'll do crazy stuff. They'll, they'll go to their ex-spouse and say, I am so sorry. I mean, even if this, this ex-spouse was, was a jerk, was mean, was sinful, was angry, had all these problems going on in the marriage, they will go to them and say, I'm sorry for the role that I played in sinning against you in this marriage. They'll go to their, their parents, they'll go to their kids, they'll go to their former in-laws and anyone else that they hurt and they will ask for forgiveness. That's a sign of true repentance. Here's a fourth one. It's a quick one. In situations where the divorce was biblically permissible, remarriage is also permissible. That's, that's, a bi that's tied together. If we determine that someone was, was free to be divorced, then they are free to be remarried. If they're the one who committed the sin, if they committed the adultery, if, if they've done those things, well, Scripture tells us they are not free. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.15, they are not enslaved. Now, for some of us, that brings us back to the ball and chain metaphors that are unbiblical, that are, that are terrible stereotypes and shouldn't, shouldn't be used. Now, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying they're free from the bonds of marriage if this spouse deserts them. So now, because they're free from that marriage, they are free to remarry. But you know what? That doesn't mean necessarily that these people should be remarried. Maybe God would have them fully committed to, to doing ministry. They, they are free to, but they need to consider and seek counsel as to whether or not they should be. Here's been our approach as elders, and I think this is wise, not just because it, it, this was the approach before I became an elder, a pastor in this church. Take time. If you have recently been divorced and you had biblical basis for doing so, Take time. Get healthy. Pursue Christ. If you have children, focus on your children. Don't get into a marriage I, right away. I, sometimes it's the case, it happens, and if they both are, are free to remarry, they can. I, it's just wise to just get your bearings. Let the earth beneath you stop shaking so you can follow Christ and move forward. And here's a final word, a final truth. Marriage is a good gift from God that is meant to display the relationship between Christ and his church to the world. In all of this kind of legal stuff, important information, truth, law that is measured by the gospel, all of this, we might forget this. Marriage is a gift. Not everybody's called to be married. Not everybody should be married. Not everybody should be remarried. But the reality is that God has given in marriage a great gift to all of humanity. It's for people's good. It's for society's good. It's for companionship, for intimacy, for friendship. It's for so many reasons. It's for sanctification. Ask a Christian who's been married besides the word and, and the regular means of how God has sanctified them, how he sanctified them. Marriage. Marriage right after that, being a parent. Like, this is God's tool, a vessel to make you holier because you will be confronted with your sin. But in all that, the reason why marriage is so important to us Christians is because Paul says in Ephesians 5 this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage goes beyond legal matters, though it is a legal matter. Marriage goes beyond just these, you know, when is it okay, when it is not okay. Marriage is about Jesus and the church. This mystery has been revealed now. God has made it known 
before Christ we didn't know this, but now that, that what marriage is to demonstrate, the love, the sacrificial love that, that a husband has for his wife, how he lays down his wife, is to mirror, is to image the love that Christ has for his church and the submission and the coming under and the following and the serving. Now, there's you know, lots of these things going back and forth in a marriage, but, but that, that aspect in, in a wife's relationship with her husband is to image and mirror the relationship that the church has with Christ. So it's so big. We cannot lose, we cannot diminish, we cannot set aside this, this glorious purpose of marriage. Marriage is for our good, it's for the good of others, but it's about Christ and the church. And here, with my final closing words, I want to address three people, three especially important people to hear some things this morning. If you're married, stay married. Fight. We talked last week about fighting against sin, pursuing holiness. Fight for your marriage. Fight hard. Protect it. Seek to grow your marriage. Keep it centered on Jesus Christ. Pray together. Grow in Christ together. Take walks together. You may not be able to go on a weekly uh, date or a monthly date. We don't know how we could do that right now in our schedule in our life, but it's good to go on dates, and we try to make that regular. You know, that, that, that happens. Marriage is a gift to you from God. I know you don't always feel that, but it's the reality. So if you're contemplating divorce, talk to somebody. Somebody who believes the Bible, who will point you to Christ. It, if, you, if you have a biblical ground for divorcing, well, consider what God might just do if you wait a, a while and you pray in your spouse's heart. If you are divorced and single, hear this this morning. If your spouse broke the covenant of marriage, if it was not your fault that you are divorced, you are, you are not to come into church at feeling like you are second class. Now, nobody should. The gospel puts us all on the same floor. We're equal at the cross. But, but what I want to emphasize is that, that we do not see you or we should not and we need to repent if we have treated you or anybody has treated you this way as some weak or, or worthless Christian, some Christian who is broken and, and does, doesn't have a place in Christ's church. That's not the case. The church is for you, and you are to find grace and fellowship here. You are not to be treated as a sinner because you have not sinned in breaking the covenant of marriage your spouse did. And finally, if you are divorced but you shouldn't be, can you find hope in your heart? If you have not remarried, to seek reconciliation. Think about the glory that would give God how people would say, you were separated five, ten years, you didn't remarry, and now God has brought you. I've heard those stories, and it is amazing. I'm not saying it's always possible. I'm not saying it always should be done, but just consider this. And if you are divorced, and you have not repented it, of it, and you have sinned in this divorce or this remarriage, don't think that you can just repent later. I've seen this over and over again. Somebody says, you know what, I'll repent later, I'll repent later. And you know what they do? They keep on kicking it down the curb. And ultimately, you know what they do? They just harden their heart. They hear God's word and there's just nothing, nothing there. They once maybe had a, a soft place in their heart for Christ and now they've hardened their heart. So don't do it. Respond today. Being unrepentant is a dangerous thing. To those who have sinfully divorced, to those whose sin caused the divorce, to those who have been hurt by divorce and remarriage, I say this, look to Jesus today. Trust in Jesus. The cross is enough to cover these things. You may carry scars for the rest of your life, but Jesus will redeem and work through those things and he will be glorified. So come to Christ if you have not already done so and trust in him. Let's pray. O oh God in heaven, you are the God of the brokenhearted who hears the cries of his people who will not set aside the prayers of a contrite heart. I pray, Father, that you would be working in those hard hearts. The spouse who is pursuing divorce for unbiblical reasons, the, those who have been divorced for, for unbiblical reasons, that you would be showing them their sin and at the same time, you would draw them to Christ and the glory of the gospel and they would trust in Jesus. Father, may, may marriage be strong in this church, in your universal church, and may it display what you intended it to display, the relationship between Christ and the church. For your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.